Welcome to Inspirational Australians, where we share stories of Australians making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. We at Inspirational Australians acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways on which this podcast is produced. We pay our respect to elders past and present and those who are emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. At Inspirational Australians, we are inspired by the world's oldest living culture and pay homage to their rich storytelling history when we share stories on our podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspirational Australians podcast for your weekly dose of inspiration. This week I'm joined by Sean Guy, who is from Darwin, Northern Territory, and I love speaking to people from NT because it's my favourite place, I think, in Australia to visit. It's just, uh, if you haven't been there, you have to go. Uh, Hopefully the Tourism Board will sponsor me soon. But for now, I'm speaking with Sean, who is the 2023 winner of the McDonald's NT Career Achievement Award as part of the Northern Territory Young Achiever Awards. Now, Sean has a really cool career. It's not your typical career, I wouldn't think, but it's so awesome to hear from people who have gone about things a bit differently. They use their passions and what they really enjoy doing to help that, you know, to, to direct that career. So Sean has worked at the Bookshop Darwin for over 11 years, and in his time there, he's demonstrated creativity, innovation, and a genuine passion to support and engage with the community. On top of that, in his career as an author and playwright, he's written four successful books, joined the Darwin Theatre Company board, and had plays performed around the country and fringe shows in multiple states. It's a pretty cool career, and to tell me a bit more about it, I'm joined by Sean. Welcome. How are you doing? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, you know, I talked about how I love the NT. First, you've got to tell us what it's like there at the moment. Um, you're in the wet season, you're in the dry season. What's going on? Yeah, it is lovely up here. Um, maybe we can both get sponsored by the tourism board and do some, <laughs> just travel around to all the national parks for a few weeks or something. No, uh, the NT is lovely at the moment. It's um, it's always hot. It's hot and dry um, in the dry season. It's hot, wet in the wet season. But at the moment, it's, you know, it's getting a little bit humid, but it's still kind of the dry. So um, heading into the build-up. But it's a lovely time to be here. Um, the evenings are so cool and there's always a nice breeze. And there's always lovely markets and, you know, some great walks. It's just the best place to be, honestly. <laughs> are you from Darwin, Sean? Um, I'm actually born in Adelaide and then spent a little bit of time in Canberra for my sins and then um, went to uh, Melbourne where I sort of did some growing up, I guess. Uh, lived in Doncaster. Then moved to the NT just before I finished high school and I've been here now however long that is, about 13, 14 years, and I just love it here. I would, I've would, i bought a house. I don't have any plans to move back down south in the near future. Yeah, brilliant. So I've got to ask you, where did you go to high school then? Oh, I went to high school um, in Melbourne in Doncaster Secondary College and Princes Hill Secondary College. And up in the NT, I was at um, Kumilda College, which is now known as Haleybury Rendell because it got bought out. Oh, right. Well, I, I only asked because uh, I grew up in a similar area. So oh, nice. I was, uh, yeah, went to high school in that area as well. So not the same one, but um, that's so interesting. It's funny how, you know, be in the same place and then you never know where in the world you'll end up. Well, we'd probably cross paths if you played cricket or something. <laughs> there you go. 
uh, more of a basketball player, to be honest. But uh, I was too. I didn't want to get you know be out there in the sun. My pale skin wouldn't handle it. <laughs> See, that's a good call. I should have done basketball too. I was used <laughs> to cricket. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I just love you know. Obviously, I had my own intro there, which is from our awards when you were a finalist and obviously then a winner in our awards. But I must say, I can tell you're a writer because in preparation for this podcast, I read the bio on your website. Um, let's plug the website so I give it the right uh, URL. It's uh, seanguyauthor.com. And I can tell you're a writer because your bio on your website is bloody awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I wish I had time to summarize it down to a, a good uh, a version so I use it for the podcast. So um, you, I want to know, I guess as a long lead up to the, my question, how did your passion for writing start in the first place? Uh, it's a great question, but yeah, it's kind of a, I, I guess it's kind of a boring answer in the sense that like it just, I was just born that way, which I know sounds cliche, but I totally was. I, um, from the age of about three, you know, when most kids are playing with their toys, you know, I, I'd play with them a little bit and then I'd sort of go to mum and dad, all right, write that down. That's where we're up to today. You know, I'll continue the story tomorrow. And that's and that's how it was my whole childhood. The first, you know, book I ever wrote was um, this collection of short stories about, you know, my monkey teddy and my, you know, frog teddy and, you know, the adventures they got up to. Um, and then I just kept doing it all through primary school. I was just obsessed with writing stories, you know, parodies basically of Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, oh, yeah. sort of stuff <laughs> I was watching. Yeah, And then um, when I moved to uh, the NT, actually, that was when I, as a teenager, you know, about 14 or 15 or whatever it was, and I was entering things like the Young um, Author Awards, and I just I stopped introducing myself as, you know, a nerd who sort of liked to write and start introducing myself as a writer and um, and just kind of made that part of my identity, and, and it has been ever since. So, yeah, it's good fun. Did you... Did you find that your writing improved once you gave yourself permission to say, hey, I am an author? That is a, a lovely question that I've never been asked before. And, um, yes, I think it did. That's, a, that's a, such a great question. Yeah, once you start, um, you know, you, you absorb it and you, and you take it on and, and you allow yourself to do it. Yeah, I think definitely it, it just it becomes something that you take more seriously. In, in fact, I think I get better every year because even in the last sort of seven to five years, um, since I've started publishing the books and getting plays out there, I've taken it a lot more seriously and I've done a lot more courses and had a lot more mentors. And I, I just, I think I get better every year, truly. Well, not obviously being, you know, really in the writing scene myself, just anecdotally, and I do love reading books. It does seem that um, there's a certain age almost for authors. Like once, you know, and again, this is just my perspective of it, like they're 50 or or whatever, and they're releasing their, you know, they're really famous and popular books. Now, you're starting quite young. From your perspective, uh, do you ever think about that? Um, yeah, I think some of the, the great authors that I follow um, definitely didn't make it till they were in their 40s or 50s, and particularly the ones you hear about that win things like the Man Booker or the Miles Franklin Awards, and, you know, they've, it's for their novel they've been working on for 15 years. That's a big part of the industry. Those are kind of the household names in a lot of senses. But I think there's also the other flip side. Um, I write a lot of um, historical fiction and urban fantasy and, and kind of fun, a bit less literary stuff. And I think there's a lot of authors in my demographic, you know, the 20s to 30s to early 40s who are just writing that stuff for their own fun and pleasure. And then, you know, they're finding a bit of an audience and making it, you know, online or self-publishing or, 
you know, the people like Colleen Hoover out there who's just taken the world by storm. I think she wrote 20 or 30 books before she even got traditionally published. And so, yeah, anyway, I think, long story short, I think there's a huge market out there for young authors and also younger readers. You know, we've got to keep telling stories that are relatable for people in their teens and 20s and 30s um, because it's just so, it's so important that people are reading. Yeah, no, that's really true. Um, well, it's a really cool story going back to how you were just writing those um, stories, you know, before you could even write, you were you were making those stories, which is awesome. Speaking of being, you know, super young to write, I noticed on your biography, and I'm going to refer to your bio a couple of times because it's so good. I also know a bit of fun trivia here that you were the youngest ever to write a front story article for NT News. <laughs> That's what they told me, yeah. I um. I was on work experience there when I was about 16 and because I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know how to get into a career doing that. I applied for my work experience at NT News and I thought, oh, I'll just do a week of journalism. You know, how hard could it be? Because I didn't know. I was a dumb teenager. <laughs> um, and that was one of the best weeks of my life. I had some amazing experiences following journalists out to all these crazy stories. I mean, you've seen the NT News headlines. They're all crocodiles and snakes and uh, all sorts of things. So, yeah, I got to do a week of that and I wrote, um, the, the best story was one day I was coming back from lunch and I had in my hand, you know, a can of Coke and a party pie or something. And I had, um, and one of the journalists actually spotted me walking down the road and he was in his car and he pulled over and he said, Hey, you're the work experience kid, right? I barely knew his name. You know, we sort of only crossed paths a couple of times. And I said, yeah, I'm Sean. And he said, great, come with me. I need, I need you. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I got in the car and we drove off and, um, and as we're driving down the Stuart Highway, I said to him, so what's the story? And he says, um, there's a fire. And I was like, a fire? What's the fire? And it turned out the NT WorkSafe, um, you know, who are the, the safe practice people of the NT, they had blown off the lid of their own incinerator when <laughs> disposing of fireworks after Territory Day. And they'd started this fire, you know, 10 minutes out of Darwin CBD. And so we get there and we literally... I don't know if I should admit this on the podcast, but we literally had to like jump fences to try and get in and get a, and get a look around. And this guy next to me, he's taken all these photos and then we spot someone, you know, a policeman or, or a council member or whoever it was, I can't remember. And he says, all right, we're going to go interview them. And I was like, great, I'll, I'll sit and watch or take notes or whatever you want me to do. He's like, no, you've got to interview them. I'm just a cameraman. That's why I picked you up. Wow. <laughs> so I'm there with my notepad and my can of Coke and, and I'm just, I'm like, all right, I'll do my best. <laughs> so I took all the notes and did the interview and we went back to the NT News, you know, office and I did have a bit of help, obviously, editing it and formatting it. But, um, yeah, that became the front page story. And to my knowledge, no other teenager in year 10 at high school has ever done it for the NT News, if any major, you know, capital city newspaper. I, I, not that I know of. That is bloody brilliant. I love that story so much. <laughs> It's one of my favourites. <laughs> I did work experience at Channel 10. Um, again, uh, you know, in the media industry, and I was kind of thinking about doing that kind of thing. And um, the most important job I was given was in that week was to feed the parking meter. Um, oh, no. When I was out with with one of the journos and the cameraman um, at the time. So uh, I love that you got given some actual responsibility. That was really cool. I was very, I was very lucky. Yeah, I know a lot of people like like yourself who did work experience at all these cool businesses, and you know they ended up like 
scrubbing floors or playing games on their phone for like, you know, just hours and hours at a time. But no, I was running around the whole time. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> that is awesome. So you've started off as a kid writing these stories. You've uh, written for the NT News at 16. <laughs> at what age do you, did you write your first novel? Um, I think my first novel I finished when I was, I must have been about 13 or 14. It wasn't very good. I mean, it was it was literally just a uh, Lord of the Rings parody, but I'd kind of changed the names because I was just obsessed with the idea of like an elf and a dwarf and a human on an adventure. Um, but yeah, I, I did. I submitted um, my first few novels to the NT uh, Young Author Awards and I was very lucky. I won for my region three years in a row. So that was very nice. But then I wrote my first serious novel probably when I was in my, I think, early 20s. And then I tried to finish the whole series of them before I, you know, released them to the world. And I was really nervous about it because this is a series of five books that I've written. Um, it's the Tower City Chronicles. And I've never seen anything quite like it before in that it's five books set over five consecutive weeks. So it's this sort of really close, tight-knit, tightly-paced story. Um with multiple main characters that all kind of interweave together. It's really one big book that I've split into five and I've, I've just never seen a series that's done quite that sort of thing. And I was really nervous to release it. So I actually held on to it until I, I think I was almost finished writing the whole series before I released the first one. Um, but I didn't even release the first book I ever actually published was um, a different one that I wrote while I was doing my university studies. I was trying to teach Macbeth to year eight, which is not a fate I wish on my worst enemy. It's That was a real struggle. Um, but, yeah, I wrote a book based on that experience, or not that experience, but based on Macbeth um, and Shakespeare and the curse, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I wrote this really fun murder mystery set in Shakespeare's times around a, a theatre troupe, and that went off like a, like a house on fire in Darwin. We sold out the first print run in like a couple of months and I had to do more. And so within a year or so, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm clearly, I've got a bit of an audience. I'm doing okay at this. I learned a lot from publishing that. So I thought, let's start launching the rest of the books that I've written and, and see if I can, you know, keep learning and keep growing and keep reaching new audiences. And I've never looked back. Fantastic. Well, uh, you need to tell me what is, because I was reading a bit about this series, the urban, what is urban fantasy as a genre? Yeah, awesome. Um, great question. Urban fantasy is uh, fantasy, but in the modern world, the modern urban setting. So the best example I can think of that people know is Harry Potter because um, it's it's witches and wizards and monsters and, and dragons, but it's in like the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so mine's not quite that magical, mystical. It's not it's not wizards and witches and spells. It's more um, it's more Greek mythology. So it's a little bit like um, Neil Gaiman's American Gods, if you know that one. Or, I know um, of it, yeah. Yeah, it's such an awesome, awesome book. Mine, my book is very much inspired by that, but obviously with a lot of different elements. Or, um, or the Percy Jackson series, which is more for young adults. Um, my series is, is for that audience, you know, when they're a couple of years older. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, uh, I like... I think I said at the start, I really enjoy books, but uh, for some reason, whatever it is, I've just found it, I'm in a bit of a lull in my book reading career. And so, Sean, I think you're going to, um, your books will uh, inspire me to get back in because uh, they sound great. Thanks. 
So where's the, you know, this is a selfish question. Where's the best place to get your book? Ah, um, I guess the quickest place is through the Amazon online store. There are only a couple of bucks there for any readers that are interstate or international. Uh, but if you if you can do it, I strongly encourage everyone to do it through the Bookshop Darwin or try and order it through your local bookshop. It's not at every local bookshop, but if you call us in Darwin or call your local shop and you tell them that, you know, you're happy to pay a little bit extra for shipping or whatever, I'll, I'll get it to them. Um, in fact, I'll cover most of the costs. I'd, I'd be thrilled to get it at more shops around Australia. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, excellent segue, by the way, because I wanted to ask you about the um, the Bookshop Darwin at some point, and so we, we may yeah. as well now. Um, I really like that your uh, award, the, you know, one of the reasons you won your award, um, and, you know, I wasn't there at the judging, so I'm only talking about feedback I've heard and, and just what other people have told me is that, you know, you some people, uh, I suppose, have the perception, all right, you, you know, you've got one career in the arts, say, and maybe that, and again, this is the perception, the career is not enough to fully uh, sustain, you know, your living wage. So you've got this other career and that's just, you know, helping you get by. But what you've done is you've merged, you know, that into such a great way of having a well-rounded career by working in books all the time, plus you're a writer. You know what I mean? It's just, I feel like it's so, it's so great. And uh, especially with all, you know, the the stuff you've done with the bookshop to kind of, you know, involve the community and, and just make it not go the way of Blockbuster, if that makes sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of people come in and say things like, oh, we're so glad you're still here. You know, we thought bookshops were, were dying. and But I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of... Um, I think with the big chain bookshops like, um, you know, Angus and Robertson, of course, they closed all of their brick and mortar shops, but all of the indies like, um, excuse me, like the bookshop Darwin, because we've got teams of local people who live in the community and love the community and and actually read a lot of books. Um, I think we've done okay. You know, we're, we're constantly finding new ways to engage readers. Uh, we, the bookshop Darwin, we really closely support um the Children's Book Council of Australia, um, the NT branch, of course, but also the Young Author Awards and the summer reading program that the local libraries do. We work closely with Brownsmart whenever they're doing a play that was a book. You know, we we do little promotions for that. Um, yeah, we just we're just constantly getting out there. I was very lucky with the bookshop Darwin role because when I was studying um, teaching, I I applied for that job as just a casual, and because I loved reading and I did that for about four years part-time and then when I finished teaching you know I was only about 21 and the students I was teaching were about 17 or something <laughs> and so yeah. I thought I need a little bit of a break from teaching to gain a bit of experience and and you know get a couple of years on these kids before I teach full-time so I said to my my boss do you mind if I work here full-time for a couple of years and she said, yeah, if you can commit to a couple of years, I'll make you manager. So I got to be manager there for a few years and I gained a heap of experience in, you know, um, working with small teams and big teams and um, helping run writers festivals. I was on the advisory committee, um, but I've also been part of this book selling teams there and helping pick authors. And so, yeah, I've, I've met authors and publishers from all over the world, Man Booker Prize winners, Miles Franklin winners. It's just um, I've had the best experience there. And and like you said, I've been able to tie it into my career as a writer 
So it's kind of one and the same. They're very closely linked. Do you think there's a, a sitcom there? You know, the books in the bookstore and all the people that come in and everything. I dream about it all the time. I've got so many funny stories I would love to share. Um, obviously, Black Books has been done, but I think I could put a new spin on it. That's definitely something I want to do one day. Maybe a play. I don't know. <laughs> well, again, you're the, the master at segues because I, I wanted to talk to you about that as well. What's the difference <laughs> between, because have you written plays? I have, yes, yeah. So that was writing. an unintentional segue, but yeah, it worked well. <laughs> What's the difference between, you know, obviously there's many, but major difference between writing a novel, for example, and a play? The first major difference that I spotted when I started doing plays was the formatting. Because um, in, a, in a novel, you know, you can reveal things at whatever pace you want because it's prose. You know, you can start with dialogue. You can start with description. You can start with um, a joke or a, or a red herring or whatever. But with a play, and, and, and plays are more similar to screenplays, even though they are still different, but you really have to just write what's happening, if that makes sense. You know, you can't, in a play, you don't write, um, you, you know, a, a huge, I don't know how to describe this, you, you, you don't, there's no value to what's on the page in a play for the reader because it's not meant to be read, it's meant to be performed. I mean, of course there is value. That's a silly thing to say. But it's just a very different sort of style. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And what was your – so you've um, also uh, been on the board of the Darwin Theatre Company. So have you acted in plays as well? Have you done the full round experience? Uh, I have acted in some short sketches and comedy things um, through Big Dog Salad. I've never been in a Darwin Theatre Company play, but they have performed one of mine before I joined the board. Um, they They very kindly did that. I have acted, yeah, but I'm, I'm not a very good actor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stay on the writing end of things. Yeah. I've, I've acted in um, Darwin Fringe Festivals twice and in Adelaide Fringe Festival once, and, it, and they were great experiences. It helped me learn about the acting experience, but it's not something I think anyone would ever pay me to do. <laughs> there you go. What is involved with being on the board of a, of a theatre company? Well, at the moment, we're right in the nitty-gritty of putting on a production of uh, Romeo and Juliet, which we're going to do by the end of the year. Darwin Theatre Company is a great organisation because it's pretty much the NT, or at least Darwin's premier amateur theatre company. So it doesn't have a lot of funding, which is a shame, and I'd love to change that. That's probably my top priority. But it does provide an opportunity for actors who are normally in uh, adults but still new to acting and just want to give it a go. You know, we don't do the big paid productions that are funded, you know, by national organisations like well, like what Brownsmart does. Brownsmart do the most amazing shows. But Darwin Theatre Company, they have a sort of different... Um, uh, our raison d'etre is to um, provide opportunities for people who might never otherwise get it, you know. People need credits on their resume before they can go and apply for the big paid roles. And... And so we just have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I think um, amateur theatre is really undervalued in a way because it's so much fun to go watch uh, the ones that I've seen and uh, just having you know people that I've known acting in them is probably the main reason I've gone to them. Yeah. And uh, every time I see one, I'm going, I should go see more often because they're so good. I think people forget that amateur theatre doesn't mean bad you know am amateur this word now that we use people think it to mean like lesser or less experienced 
which often it is, but not always. What amateur actually means, like the root of that word, is people who do it for the love of doing it. Um, and it's a shame that there's not enough funding in the world to to pay people for these months and months of time that they put into it. But I truly, I, I agree with you. I think amateur theatre is some of the best theatre ever. You know, people doing it for the love of it. You've got a wide range of actors, a wide range of experiences and a wide range of stories because they can tell more stories that, you know, the the major theatre companies are sometimes scared to do, you know, like local ones, ones that have never been performed before. I would like to see it become this sort of thing that, um, rivals the Friday night movie, you know. I want people to, when they go home from work on a Friday night, not go, oh, what nonsense is on Netflix that we can watch, you know. I, like, no, go and call up your local theatre, see what's on, get out there, go out for dinner, go watch a show, like take your family. It's one of the best experiences you can get and, and it's so cheap and because no one's getting paid, so you might as well go and enjoy it. <laughs> well, Fringe is a great excuse to do that kind of stuff, but I suppose... Yeah, that could become more of a you know a year round thing. It doesn't have to be um, pigeonholed into that one fringe kind of uh, experience. In my experience, there are theatre companies all over Australia who do it year round already. Um, people just are only aware of it at Fringe because Fringe shows have the big the backing and the marketing. Um, but no, yeah, check out your local theatre all year round. And you know, you know this being so involved, but what is you know some people I think. Um, trying to think of how to frame this, but like you know, not look down on the arts, but kind of think the arts isn't as important, doesn't require as much funding. You know, you're right in it, and you you've worked with um with people from all across the arts. Why is it so important? Do you think that we uh, you know, are focusing on things like amateur theatre and uh, and independent bookshops and that kind of thing? Yeah, I I mean, there's so many layers to that question. Um, I think it is hard for funding organisations to prove that the arts need funding because it's hard to prove um, the value. Like the value, you can't put sort of a, um, it's not like when you pay someone to fix, you know, um, a leaky pipe, you know, you can't always see the immediate result. But I think the arts have um, shaped the world and culture and society for like thousands of years. And I wish um, I don't know if I'm phrasing this very well either, but I wish it wasn't this kind of thing that people expect artists to do it for free until they're good enough to do it for money. I think as a society, we here in Australia at local and state and federal levels, we have to invest money into the arts if we want to um, keep getting fresh, new, relevant cultural stories and compete on an international level because, unfortunately, there's just not enough um, revenue at, at the, um, uh, what do you call it, like the ground level? The grassroots. The grassroots, that's the exact word I was looking for. At the grassroots level, it doesn't fund itself. So, you know, we have to trickle that down so that we can get people like Margot Robbie and Chris Hemsworth to star in those big blockbusters that are filmed on the Gold Coast, you know? Like that's that's it's, it's one big industry. We have to be supporting it at all levels. Yeah, so true. And... Uh... I think the flow and effects would be would be good for everyone because it then impacts uh, economy as well uh, in those areas. So I'll, I want to ask you, uh, changing gears a little bit, about you mentioned earlier Big Dog Salad. Um, can you explain what it is and, uh, yeah, tell us about your experiences with it? Yeah, Big Dog Salad is um, is really close to my heart. That's, that's um, really the passion, I guess. It's um, So we started as a group 
I think about five years ago, we started doing podcasts in my friend's basement, you know, like as you do, um, as everyone has at one point. But then we, we moved on to, oh, you know, we're, you know we, were, we had a love of theatre and the arts and film. And we thought, oh, why don't we try and, try and do something funny that we can film and show off? So we moved into doing little YouTube sketches, which gained a bit of a following. And we did that for a year or two. And then we thought, well, why don't we try and do it on the stage and get an actual audience and see if we've got merit to hold people's attention for a whole hour. And so we did our first Fringe show and it was a huge success. Um, we sold out straight away. So we did it again the next year and then we had to do extra nights because there was so much demand for tickets. And then we did Adelaide Fringe and then we did Darwin Fringe again and we won our first Fringe Award. So, yeah, basically Big Dog Salad is a group of six um, emerging creatives male, female, non-binary, straight, gay, you know, um, we've got a great mix. Um, we've got a, a Kiwi <laughs> um, and some with European backgrounds and some with sort of traditional Australian backgrounds, I guess. Um, and we just have this passion for working with people in our community. We're constantly hiring new actors and working with directors and designers and doing theatre and film and just anything we can to try and build a career in the arts. And we've been very lucky. We've had a little bit of funding over the years. But, again, we're hoping to take that next step and become, you know, go down the path of groups like Monty Python or Auntie Donna. And, you know, maybe the next step is not just a, a sketch show or a fringe show, but an actual tour. Or maybe we um, do a pilot for a, our own sketch show on ABC or Stan. You know, who knows? But um, we're just at that point where the op opportunities are endless we just have to stick to one and make it work <laughs> it does sound very exciting um i do love how you you grouped monty python and auntie donna i mean <laughs> Auntie Donna are great but that's a <laughs> an elite group yeah to, to group. they're the closest i can think of for an australian comparison but you know i'd yeah i'd love to be the monty python of australia <laughs> definitely i was also getting flashbacks of the avengers when you said um we've got a kiwi and I was like, you know, they're like, we've got a Hulk. And I was like, oh, your Kiwi is just a secret weapon, uh, potentially. <laughs> we, we joke about that sort of thing all the time because when you're putting on grant applications, you know, they always ask for, um, you know, how how your group is diverse or how it hits different cultural, you know, things. And, you know, you, know, you don't want to tick those things just for the sake of it. But genuinely we do. Within our group, you know, we've got a couple of languages, a couple of backgrounds, um, Greek, Scottish. And anyway, it's <laughs> – but – Iona, who's um, who's from New Zealand, she's um, just a, a total wizard at um, technical stuff and sound and lighting design. She's amazing. They're all amazing. That's probably uh, why it's so funny or it resonates because you can have then different perspectives from you know each type of background or you know people from all walks of life. So uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it really helps us, and it's very evident too in our comedy styles. We, we actually reached a point where we can sort of pick our styles enough that we can parody each other. So mine yeah. tend to be um, very, my plays particularly, they tend to be very wordy and, and puns and lots of um, vocal, verbal humour, whereas um, Jack McMillan's, his tend to be a little bit absurdist and you can never see them coming, which, I mean, they're great for that. Costa Hatsavasamas, he's an amazing writer too. He's sort of um, a little bit existential but so funny. And, and Michael Van Berkel and Pip O'Shea, um, also great writers, but also great actors and uh, costume designers and directors. We all just, yeah, we all have a little bit of everything. So, yeah, they're a great team. That's awesome. Well, congrats on your uh, win at Darwin Fringe. Thank you. 
Very cool. That must have been a really nice moment. Yeah, it was our first award ever as a as a collective. Um, even though we've all done so many different shows and and projects in the past. So yeah, hopefully that helps us sell more tickets next time we go to Adelaide Fringe or Perth Fringe or or just apply for some funding. Um, yeah, because at the moment we're all working, you know, either full time or part time, and then trying to do ten to twenty hours a week as well of of art stuff, you know. Over a matter of years, doing those 60, 70 hour weeks and, and only being paid for kind of half of it, it's tough. And I don't expect, you know, the handouts. Nobody nobody does, I think. But it would be nice if we could create an industry where there was a little bit more support to go around because I know people, yeah, who have been doing this for five or 10 or 20 years who are kind of barely scraping over the line of, of poverty. Like, <laughs> um, it's yeah, tough. That is tough. What was it like? going to Adelaide Fringe with your show, you know, compared to obviously Darwin being your home fringe, like that would be a, a totally different experience, I can only guess. Yeah, it was it was um it was exhausting and expensive. <laughs> um and it was hard to sell tickets because we didn't have a built up audience there and, and we didn't know but more than that we didn't know how to promote it. So you know we were kind of the after the first show when we'd hardly sold any tickets, we were like, all right, We've got four nights left and we have we have to learn from this experience. You know, what are we going to do? We were running around throwing posters in people's faces and stickering, you know, stickers everywhere and flyers in people's bags when they weren't looking and, you know, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, Funny. That's only partially true. But, yeah, no, it was <laughs> it was really hard and it was it was successful. I mean, the producer we worked with, Shakti from the Garage International, she loved the show so much she said, if you ever want to come and do it at, at um, Avignon Fringe, you know, just let me know in France. And, and we were kind of like, well, that's even more expensive, but we'd love to, you know, maybe one day. So it was, it was a tough experience, but it was one of the best experiences of my life because we had, um, you know, seven to ten days, whatever it was, where we would kind of watch a show in the afternoon, then go out for dinner, then do our show. And then, you know, go watch another show and then have a few drinks and go watch another show and then stumble home at 1am. And we got to experience everything from comedy to existential drama to um, musicals to cabaret. I've never seen so many shows in a week as I did that week. And I have learned so much from it. So, yeah, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Very cool. Did you run into fellow um, Darwin performer Amy Hetherington over in the Adelaide Fringe? We love Amy. I, I do know Amy, um, not super well, but, yeah, she is amazing. I didn't see her that Adelaide Fringe, but I do see her around, um, you know, all the time. I've seen a few of her shows. She is, again, one of the best. Um, we saw Kyle Wormsley. He was down there. He's really good as well. Um, but, yeah, they're all there's some amazing talent in the NT. I think we strike well above our weight for our, um, you know, population. Definitely. I think so as well. Um the other thing I wanted to ask you about is your screenwriting. So, yeah. you know, we've covered off a few of the different um, mediums. I don't know what you call it, the uh, the various things <laughs> that you uh, that you do. You know, screenwriting is one as well that um, you mentioned is similar to playwriting but, but not quite. Yeah, I mean, there's a few sort of um, rules that any screenwriter or playwright will know that, that make them quite different. But they're more similar to me than than book writing, for example. So I kind of lump them in as there's a lot of overlapping skills as well. Um, but I love screenwriting. I never thought I would get into it. But then after I published my first book, I had a local producer come up to me and say, would you write a script about 
the bombing of Darwin, like a feature film. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I know enough about it. And he said, well, he was a historian for the bombing of Darwin. And he said, well, I'll give you all the research and you just do the story and, and we'll go from there. And I did. And I learned so much in that year. I, um, I learned more than anyone has ever learned about screenwriting in such a short time, I think. And I'm still not great at it, but I'm learning all the time. And since then, I've built up a bit of a connection with Screen Territory. I've done one round of seed funding to develop my own um, feature film. And I've also been part of their Spark Initiative twice to do um, funded short films, which have launched at the Darwin International Film Festival. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, they they haven't really won any awards or anything yet, but I'm learning every day and hopefully the next film I make will, you know, who knows, maybe I will get people like Chris Hemsworth and Margot Robbie involved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what the, the pathway looks like, but, you know, I'm on it um, and doing my best. <laughs> Yeah, well, it sounds like you. I like, really like your attitude because you talk about you know you learnt a lot and you're using all these experiences to continue learning and uh, improving yourself. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it in the arts. You know, you never really stop learning. Um, I I hope to continue doing this forever, and and I don't mind you know writing a little bit of books and a little bit of plays, and a little bit of film, and a little bit of comedy, a little bit of drama. You know, like. I just love entertaining people. That's at the end of the day, that's my that's my passion. So it doesn't really matter the genre or the form. I just want to write. <laughs> so you talked about how uh, you know haven't won any awards yet for screenwriting, but you have won quite a few. You know, we've mentioned a couple already, um, and one of those obviously was with the NT Young Achiever Awards. Can you remember back to when was it? We're talking April, so five months ago now, uh, yeah, to I'm... the awards night at the uh, Mindle Beach uh, Casino. Uh, can you remember that experience and uh, what was like there being, you know, being there as part of the event? I did have a few glasses of wine to celebrate, but I didn't lose my memory. I remember every single moment of that night. <laughs> that was one of the, again, one of the coolest nights of my life. I did not expect to win by any stretch of the imagination. It's, I think this is the third or fourth year I was sort of nominated. First time I ever got into the shortlist and when we were in that room and I was listening to the achievements of the other, you know, the other people I was, I was nominated against, I thought there is no way that I'll get picked over these guys. And, and genuinely, I do think that, you know, on a different judging panel or a different day or a different mood, any of them could have won, but um, I got lucky, I guess. Um, and I'm very fortunate. And it was the last time I could get in anyway, because I'm about to turn 30. <laughs> so no, it was an amazing experience and it's been really door opening for me. Like, being able to put that on my resume and tell people that I'm being recognised um, for the achievements I've made in small business and in the arts and the way I'm combining them, it's been acknowledged now all over the NT. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very lucky um, and I'm very grateful. So thank you to you and to the um, the McDonald's team and everyone who had a say in it. You know, I'm very grateful. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. And, yeah, credit to McDonald's NT because uh, it's, it was kind of strange how they came on board in the first place, just kind of... Um, they reached out to us and, uh, you know, I think, you know, McDonald's is, is I think generally looked at as, as a young person, getting a, a job there is, is quite good on your resume, you know? And so kind of made sense that, uh, they, they wanted to sponsor an award that recognized people, you know, on their path in their career. Um, and I, I felt, yeah, I felt it was really, uh, a great choice to have you as the winner to highlight different types of careers. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it means a lot. Yeah. 
So speaking of uh, the Young Achieve Rewards, you know, we're going to be, when the, the time this goes live, uh, we're actually probably opening the nominations for the 2023 and 24 awards. So, you know, if there are people in the territory listening, would you recommend that they, you know, throw their hat in the ring as well? Absolutely. The worst you can do is try. And particularly if you're young, you know, just to, if you get long-listed or, or short-listed or whatever, even if you don't win, you know, that's something that you can point to as, you're doing a great job, you're getting better, um, you meet other people who are doing amazing things, start getting your name out there. Um, and also don't underestimate what you have done. You know, even if you don't think you're going to win, you should 100% apply. Couldn't couldn't recommend that more highly. And uh, this wasn't a plan, but I really liked your example of how you actually had been nominated a few years in a row and, uh, you know, happened to win after a few years. And I think that what some people may not realize is that uh, whilst judges do change year on year, it's not always the exact same panel. There is still, you know, a good core of people that carry over. Um, and you can't just clear out and have a whole new panel every year. So the people that are there, they've actually seen that year on year. They say, oh, yeah, I've seen Sean's nomination. Um, and rather than a negative thing, it's actually after a couple of years, they think back, oh, wow, he's... Sean's done this, this, and this, which is different from a few years ago. You know, for example, oh, if you published books, uh, he'd only published one book a few years ago. Now he's published four, uh, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So they see the growth and uh, it's actually a really strong thing um, to kind of, you know, to have that growth. And so people shouldn't be, uh, what's the word? They shouldn't feel like it was a waste, I suppose, if they didn't get shortlisted, like you said. No, absolutely. And and even just writing your, your the nomination, you know, like don't just write what you've done in the past year, write what you've done in the past five or 10 years, you know, make sure people know that you're on that journey. Um, that's such an important part of what we do. It's a great tip, actually. Very good. <laughs> so before we wrap up, um, I want to ask you a question, my last question, if that's okay. So, uh, Obviously, this is the Inspirational Australians podcast. And as I mentioned, I've been really inspired by your journey and how it may not be the one that's normal for everyone. But just to me, that shows people that no matter what your interest and your passion is, that there's a path to a career in that. So what is it, Sean, that inspires you? What is it that inspires me? Oh, man, everything inspires me. I mean, I'm lucky because I work in the arts. You know, every time I watch a show or see a film or read a book, I'm like, oh, man, that's so cool. You know, they worked so hard on that. I could do, I could learn from this part of it or that part of it. Um, there's a huge network of people in the NT that inspire me. Um, people like Amy Hetherington or, or Barry Johnsberg, who's an author up here. Um, Phil Denson, who's a screenwriter up here. Um, they inspire me hugely. Um, but anyone in the arts, really, who can make it work. I guess my biggest inspirations are people like, Matthew Riley, who's a, an Australian author who, like me, started self-published and now is like on, on an international scale. He's one of the coolest, you know, action thriller writers around and he's had movies and all sorts of things. Um, but also guys like uh, Neil Gaiman and or Quentin Tarantino even, um, not because I'm necessarily writing stuff like they are, but, you know, Quentin Tarantino's done plays and films and books now and is so well respected for his opinions about film. And Neil Gaiman has done graphic novels and won Hugo Awards and Nebula Awards and a dozen films, you know, a hundred different books. I just, I guess I just like artists who are working in different um, media and different forms and different genres and combining those experiences to tell stories that are unexpected 
but you know you can learn from them but they can also surprise you if that makes sense um but you know the list could go on i could name a thousand people that inspire me um i'm very lucky like that <laughs> well i think it's nice to be surprised sometimes isn't it i think so i think that's a big part of good storytelling you got to surprise the audience <laughs> yeah well i love matthew riley as well so uh great call there yeah he's a, <laughs> very enjoyable to read his books they're so much fun <laughs> Now, speaking of enjoyable books, I can't wait to read yours, Sean. Uh, we're getting my hands on them very soon. And uh, before I let you go, you know, let us let the listeners know where can they connect with you to to get your content, find out about your books and things like that. Yeah, awesome. I would love people to reach out, um, whether they're working in theatre, film, books, book selling, reviewing, um, or whether they, you know, amateur theatre. I love working with amateur theatre. If you ever need um, a new Australian contemporary funny play, just let me know. But I'm pretty easy to find on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I've got a website, and they're pretty much all just under Sean Guy Author. Or even my email is seanguyauthor at gmail.com. So, yeah, please do find me on any of those platforms. Um, go look for my books on Amazon or call up the bookshop Darwin and ask me, you know, we'll get them sent to you. But, yeah, if you want to read or if you want to just chat about story I'm, I'm always there i love paying it forward as well so if you've never written anything but you'd like to get into it one day please do reach out and i'll tell you everything i know which isn't that much but <laughs> i'd be happy to do it <laughs> that's a brilliant offer well that's fantastic and uh, anyone especially you know, not just in the nt but anyone um, who knows a young person or is a young person themselves inspired by this and, and wanting to throw their hat in the ring head to youngachieverawards.com Nominations will now be open uh, for the Young Achieve Rewards and you can just follow the the option to whichever state or territory you're in and get started. So thanks for your time today, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Inspirational Australians podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. The Inspirational Australians podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia. We recognise, celebrate and share the stories of Inspirational Australians through our awards programs across the country. To find out more, to nominate an inspirational Australian in your life, or to partner with our awards, visit awardsaustralia.com. If you enjoyed today's story, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review to make sure you don't miss an episode and to help our guests reach more people with their inspirational stories. <laughs>